0: No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's nation three zero for 30% off of your purchase. All right, we're back after a good holiday season. Finally, getting over being sick. I don't know about you guys, but it seemed like everybody around the holidays got sick, whether it was COVID or the flu or a cold or something. But I'm getting over being sick. Probably can hear it in my voice, but <clears throat> went through the whole family: uh, headaches, chills, and just really weird, annoying. Cough, man! I got a cough. I just cannot shake. Uh, it just seems like every night I go to bed, I am hacking and carrying it on. But anyway, it could be worse. Um, we're still able to get out. We're still able to still able to go to work. I'm still able to be productive throughout the day. It's just uh, one of those annoyances, but one of those fun ways to say Happy New Year. Now I was able to get out and do some hunting. Uh, it's just a shame that the the whole first week was just terrible weather. I mean, it was awful. We had warm, rain, fog. I sat in food plots that I couldn't see the other end of the food plot because it was that foggy. Um, I was constantly covering up the pan of my muzzleloader with paper towels and aluminum foil. Actually, I I used, uh, I got one of those, uh, I guess they call it a cow's knee. It's a leather strap you put over and that worked well, but it's just annoying. It's just a pain. And I really didn't see all that many deer except one night. It was one evening where I saw seven different buck in one evening <clears throat> And, of course, there was one buck in particular. There's one buck we had this year, and we think he's a four-year-old deer. You know how that goes when it comes to guessing an age of a deer. But from the beginning of the year, we just said, yes, he's a good buck, but if he makes it one more year, he might be a giant. Well, wouldn't you know, doesn't that deer come out in front of me? And uh, I did what the group decided to pass him, but man, it, it killed me. I wanted to shoot that deer so bad. So I guess in a sense, I was able to get on a mature deer, but it was, uh, it was really agonizing. I felt like I needed my head examined for letting a deer like that walk. You know, he was probably, he's probably a 140 inch deer. And, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I, I killed a, a giant last year, it would have been probably next to impossible for me. But, you know, it's, that's, believe it or not, it's one of the things that makes it fun for me is seeing deer get to that next age class. And there's a lot of people that they just don't understand that. And that's fine. And, uh, that's kind of what I want to get in today a little bit is, uh, how did your season go? You know, my season, I have to say my season actually was a good season, even though I didn't fill a tag. And the reason I say that is I had so many opportunities. I had wonderful sightings. I saw plenty of good deer during daylight hours. I saw multiple three-and-a-half-year-old buck that I left go. I passed because, as I said before, I'm trying to shoot a a four-year-old or better on the property that I'm hunting. I saw a a four-and-a-half-year-old plus buck that came in, and I just absolutely botched the, the whole shot. You know, I shot over his back and actually grazed him. And, uh, that was a hundred percent on me, but I had a, had that mature deer come in. I just had this mature deer come in the other night with a muzzle loader. I saw a mature deer that didn't come into bow range. Um, one other time in archery season, I had shot opportunities at doe um, saw a bunch of bear this year. I'm like, I had a great hunting season. It seemed like I was putting myself in the right position, but it just so happened that the guy behind the the weapon this year couldn't get it done. So maybe I need to go back to the drawing board and try to reevaluate that. But it all comes down to how do you measure success? You know, I measure success based on my opportunity, and you know. It, I really should have been successful as far as filling a tag, but I didn't. But the expectations that I had at the beginning of the season, I feel like I met them. You know, I expect my personal goals. I want to shoot my buck with a bow if I can, I want to shoot a four and a half year old deer older. I want to hunt as much as I possibly can without, you know, putting too much pressure on my wife and my family. Now, I can't answer that. I would have to have her on this podcast and I'd be afraid of the things that would come out of her mouth. But I don't feel that I overhunted. And, you know, the, the other goal that I have is to have a, a, a good season that we're not over pressuring Um, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season well I definitely feel like I did that because from the beginning of the season all the way through late muzzleloader here we've got mature buck coming out and and moving through our property in daylight hours I'm going to take that as a success you know if if you had to grade your hunting season I'd grade it pretty high but there's a lot of people and that's what I want to get into today you know Will set goals and expectations at the beginning of the year, and at some point, they just don't meet those goals and expectations. At some point, they start to drop their standards throughout the season. They start to have this diminishing returns based on the way their property's set up, based on the way they're hunting or the way the neighborhood is or whatever that could be, and you know maybe they settle for something that they didn't originally intend for, and. I want to throw a disclaimer out about what we're going to be talking about. If that happened to you and you're okay with that, there's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> I said it before on our podcast, and I'll say it again. There is nothing wrong with shooting a deer if it makes you happy. If you shoot a deer and it puts a smile on your face and it's putting you know food on the table, all that stuff, that is fantastic. Go ahead, by all means, shoot that deer. What I'm talking about... Is when you have something, a personal goal, a personal standard that you're setting out for, and you're trying to better yourself. You're trying to challenge yourself. You know the analogy I use a lot is football. You know when I was in high school, I played football, and I don't know how good I was. I mean, I played varsity from my sophomore year through uh, my my senior year, and I actually went to college for a year and played. But I'll be honest with you, I was never that into football. I did it because it was the thing to do with my friends. It was the thing to do that a lot of pressure people pressured me to th- thought I should do. And I did have some fun, but I just was never that passionate about it. I never had that full-on drive. It was just the thing to do at the time. And, you know, there, there's people out there that go hunting and have that kind of same system or analogy with hunting. You know, People will go out when it gets to, you know, real close to the hunting season. They're they're ready to go. They want to go hunting, and they they're they're no different. They want to shoot something, and if if they're shooting whatever they want, that's fine. It's it's really okay. But you know me, I, I used to offend a lot of people on the football team that just eat, sleep, and breathe football, and. Maybe I didn't have the heart and soul and drive that they wanted me to have in the team and it upset them. And the same concept can go into hunting. You know, there's a lot of really hardcore hunters that'll get all bent out of shape about what other people do. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I don't hunt for anybody other than myself. I hunt for myself. It's my personal goals. And that's what I'm doing. And that's what this podcast that we're going to do in this this series that we're going to do is trying to better yourself if that's what you want to do. So there's my little rant and ramble for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there's my rant and my ramble for, you yeah, my disclaimer, you know, making sure that I'm not deliberately offending anybody. Uh, I, I just wanted to throw that out there because what we're going to talk about is bad properties and how if you've hunted a property that for years, and you're just not meeting your goals and expectations, and it's just a it's just not a daylight property? I'm gonna do a series, and we're gonna talk about how to fix that. And my example of a bad property is what we just said. You know, you have high hopes going into the season. Maybe you've got some mature buck or really good shooters in the summertime. And as the season goes on, you've got nighttime pictures. And you know, maybe you're you're getting blindsided because there's a large group of does that come out onto your property at some point. And you're seeing them, or you know, maybe you're getting busted by them at certain points of the year. You're you're, you're bumping deer when you go in and out of the property on a, on a more regular basis you know what kind of work did you put in in the off season you know maybe you had done a lot of improvements maybe you had maybe you've planted food plots for years maybe you've done timber stand improvement and cut trees and had loggers come in and you've done all kinds of things you've invested into that property and you're still not seeing that return that you're expecting I hate to tell it, that happens all the time. And there's a reason for it. It's because those tools are being used improperly with the hunting strategy that you're implying. And it's happened to us, and it's happened many times. You know, there's a lot of really good habitat things and, and property manipulations that need to be done in order to put it all together. But if they're done in the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong locations, then it's going to be a fail. If you have improperly placed habitat improvements, it's an absolute waste. You are hurting your hunt. If you can't meet your goals, your objectives, then you're failing your land, you're failing yourself, and you're failing your local deer herd. You know, there's a lot of people that'll spend a lot of money. You know, I, we're one of them. Uh, me and the, the my, myself and the group of people that I hunt with, we've spent plenty of money it's what we want to do you know and there's plenty of people out there that hunt public land and you know would shame us for that because we've got deep pockets that's not the case at all i mean i'm going to talk about some very very poor man type deals of how you can get around and save some money but it's the only thing i invest in other than my family Uh, you know so i I hunt public land too i I love hunting public land and it's something i think that makes me better but I'm, I'll admit I'm blessed. I have a great property and uh, we're, we're trying to make it better. And I'm sharing with you some of the mistakes we've made. And, you know, now we've had some fantastic successes and consistently shooting the best buck in the area. So anyway, it's not good for the local deer herd. Even if you're doing habitat, even if you're planting food plots, even if you've got early succession, you've cut, you've hinge cut, you've you know, blah, 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 all the wonderful things that you've heard about for doing habitat improvements. If you are not seeing deer in daylight hours, if you're bumping those deer off the food plots, if you're chasing them to and from locations, then it is bad for the deer herd. There's probably plenty of advice out there from people that would tell you how to do it in certain locations, but I'm telling you right now, it is bad for the local deer herd. You are being completely misled if those deer are coming in at night because there's a lot of people that say oh well it's it's making good quality milk for for does and it's putting more inches of antler on those younger bucks who cares if they're not using your property in daylight hours and they're on somebody else's property during the daylight and then they're exposed to getting shot and killed at that area if your goal is to shoot a three and a half year old buck And those three-year-old bucks are all coming in at night, or maybe even the two-year-olds are there at night, and they're off somebody else's property, and, you know, somebody else doesn't have the same uh, goals as you, and they're shooting those deer before they can get to that age class. You just failed. You know, I don't care if they were using your property in the summertime. That is a fail, because you are not meeting your goals and objectives, and you're not doing any service to the local deer herd. Now, one of the things I, I want you to understand is there's a lot of advice or there's a lot of things you can see on television or there's a lot of big names that uh, will recommend things to you and maybe they are the right thing or maybe they're not for your property. But the one thing I will say is there is a major difference between the Midwest where there's low hunting pressure and... Um, You know, Kansas has like less than 50,000 bow hunters or something ridiculous like that. And I think Iowa isn't very, you know, they're increasing all the time, but Iowa is very similar. But those high pressure states like Pennsylvania are subject to something that they don't have. And that's hunting pressure. Hunting pressure is the name of the game when it comes to getting mature deer to the next age class. They're way harder to hunt and they're way harder to keep on your property. And just because you have good quality habitat doesn't mean you've got good quality hunting. They are supposed to go hand in hand, but you've got to be strategic about it. And that's where we're going to start. I think all properties have the ability to encompass daylight activity from the best buck in the area. Now, think about that for a second. I'm not saying that all properties have the ability to consistently kill... Five and a half year old mature buck. Do not be misled by that statement, I, it, at least not in a short amount of time. There's some properties that maybe it can take, you know, a, a long time of improvements, and you know, it might take five years. It takes five years to get a five and a half year old buck. There's properties that can reach that, but I think that some probably won't, but there are some that can. I think any property can influence the daylight activity of the best buck in your area. And I'm not talking about big properties. I'm talking small properties. I'm talking a 50-acre property, a 30-acre property, 20 acres, 10, even 5 acres. You can do things that will encompass daylight movement of mature deer in your area. Mature deer being relative. It might be a 2-year-old. But there's, there's this concept that we're you know, there's people that'll talk about being a deer manager versus a property manager. I really can't stand the word deer manager because it's a free ranging deer and we're really not managing him. All we're doing is we're manipulating our property to one, do positive things like encourage food, daylight browse and things like that. But we're we're really manipulating it to make our hunting better. So in all reality we're We're managing our property. And your small property, if you hunt it correctly, you can have that potential. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you have the greatest potential from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. I will say the smaller your acreage, the more likely you are to sway um, certain portions of the year. I mean, you might have to put your eggs into one basket at certain times. But I do think you can do things on a five-acre property that will increase your odds of getting the best bucks that you have on your camera at a certain portion of time in daylight and shoot them. So a little bit of tangents going on there but I'm going to say this. You can make a difference. If you've been hunting a property for years and you've said, "Oh, I don't have enough acres." You know, maybe you got a 50-acre property, 100-acre property, whatever it is, and you've probably said it, "Oh, I I just can't have a big enough influence to hold these big deer." Or, you know, I Maybe you've been trying your tail off and, and been spending a lot of money and you haven't had results. You, can, I'm telling you right now, you can make a difference, but you've got to be willing to work and you've got to be willing to invest something. I'm not telling you you got to have deep pockets, but you do have to be able to invest into your property and you can drag it out over a long period of time. Don't think that a lot of the improvements you need to make need to happen in a short amount of time. They can happen over a drawn out period and you can chronic, you know, chronologically, uh, better in improving your property. But anyway, so here we go. We're going to hit the reset button. We're going to, or maybe even got a new property this year. In fact, you know, what's exciting for me is I found out that, um, my, my, some of my family members bought a 23 acre property this year over the winter. And they told me I'm going to pretty much be able to hunt it and, and do as I please. And that's exciting for me, be another opportunity. So I'm going to be employing some of these strategies, you know, on that property as well. So number one, we're hitting the reset button. So the first step, when you go to hit your reset button, you had a crappy hunting season. You went all season long. You didn't see the deer you were after. And you know, you're getting discouraged. There's people around you that are killing the better deer, yada, yada, yada. First step after this hunting season, the end of this hunting season, you need to define or redefine the goals and expectations you have. Now, it's just kind of obvious, but it it doesn't go without saying. It has to be said because a lot of people overlook this. So, I told you before, mine's a four and a half year old deer. I want to maximize the potential of my hunting season all year long, and I want to hunt as much as possible without having a major impact on my family. So... You know, first of all, are yours too high? Are you trying to kill a four or five and a half year old deer and there's none in the area? You know, that's a simple, that's an easy one to fix. You need to either just say, I need to lower my standards or maybe I need to, you know, let loose of that property and try somewhere else. Now, there's some other realistic um, goals that people might have. Let's say you're hunting with you and a brother and a father or a son or whatever. Maybe there's three or four of you and your goal is to try to have all three of you shoot a three and a half year old buck or better on that property. Well, that might be a realistic goal, but it's not realistic if you can barely get one. Maybe you've got plenty of three and a half year old deer in the area, but you're not you guys aren't connecting on them. So saying to yourself that, well next year I want all three of us to kill one, well, that might be that might be a tough feat in one year. I'm not saying it can't be done. There's things if you're depending on how you what, what and how you're doing on your property, you can fix that. But just, just remember, keep it relative. Now, so we, we already established some, some ground rules, some goals and expectations. Step two, and this really is the major one. This is the, the, the step that is going to ruffle some feathers from other professionals. And that's okay. You know, I'm challenging you and you're going to challenge me. But if you, then the next step to talk about is before you talk about what the most important property improvement is you know, whether somebody says it's a food plot, whether somebody says it's timber stand improvement, uh, water holes, mock scrapes, blah, 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 whatever it is, before you talk about making those habitat-related improvements, habitat type, whatever it is, you need to assess your potential to move in and out of your property without spooking deer. That means without deer seeing you, without deer hearing you, and without deer smelling you. Let that soak in for a second. How much of your property can you give to deer 100% of the time and reduce the number of human interactions with those deer almost to 100%? Now, that's pretty bold, and there's a lot of places, if you think about your property, think about the way you've accessed it. Maybe you've got logging roads through the center of it that have been there since before granddaddy bought that property, and that's the way you've always gone to that stand in that one corner. But think about how you go in and out of that property. If you're doing that, that is probably one of the reasons why you don't have deer. And maybe you'll say, well, we don't chase deer when we're walking there. Yeah, because they're not there. You're walking through the middle of your property. You know, maybe you've made improvements in your property, and if your property lays out that you're chasing them because you're walking through them or around them, it was the wrong improvement. And there's a lot of people that that'll upset. You know, let's say it's a quality oak stand, and you know you had a forester recommend, you know, doing some type of selective cut in this certain location, and maybe for forestry that was the right thing, or maybe you've even had a biologist come out and you've talked with them via the phone. Maybe he's even visited your property and talked about, you know, for for wildlife habitat, it would be really good if you did X, Y, and Z to this portion of your property because this habitat type could use this and it would make it more productive. And that is accurate to a T, and I would 100% agree with that. However, if you bought this property for hunting deer, for hunting purposes alone, then if you're chasing deer in those areas it was the wrong improvement because if it's diminishing the quality of your property in daylight hours it was the wrong improvement and that really ruffles some feathers sometimes you know there's this concept that you have an opening on your property whatever it is that it needs to be planted in a food plot just because you have an opening in your woods that does not mean you need to plant it in a food plot sometimes they are the absolute wrong location for a food plot and I know it's you're trying to be a conservationist and be resourceful and you know minimize the impact you would have of you know finances maybe clearing a new food plot or you know whatever, but it it doesn't mean it's the right location. So, just throwing that out there. Um, there's two types of properties in my opinion. There's inside out properties and there's outside in. Now. Back to the second one, an outside-in property is you are usually sitting on the outside waiting for deer to come into your property. And that's a perfect example of seeing deer in the night at nighttime. You know, if you're an outside-in property, typically what you'll see a lot is you'll see doe groups coming into your property toward the end of legal shooting hours, and you're thinking at some point a buck's going to come in if you're doing that. And a lot of the time, if they're coming in at 12, 1, 2, 3 in the morning... Um, they're way behind. They're, they're maybe a mile or two off of your property, and you know, the does are usually the first ones to your food plots in the middle or whatever food source you have or reason they have to cross through your property. And it's really a poor property that has inconsistent hunting and inconsistent deer sightings. It's got a bad layout that doesn't have habitat improvements that connect to each other. Or it's just incons- you know, hunting too much. You know, here's another one that you need to think about, and this is a hard pill to swallow. Maybe you're utilizing your property for other things. You know, maybe, maybe you have family that likes to trail ride, you know, with horses or dirt bikes, or maybe you know you don't hunt. <clears throat> you don't hunt. Uh, you, you're you're doing your best to hunt the right way um, from Monday through Saturday, but then Sunday we can't hunt in Pennsylvania except for those three days we have. So you're going out in the middle of your property and you're cutting a load of firewood, you know. All those are all things that are going to impact. Just because you're not deer hunting doesn't mean that those deer and human interactions aren't having an effect on your hunt. If you're consistently doing something different, even if you're not in a hunting situation, that is not good. So, number one, that that's you know that's a that's a huge thing we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second but usually those poor properties are created by over hunting and over pressuring like i just said maybe over pressuring is that way or over pressuring can also be excessive trail camera pulls if you've got trail cameras all over your property and you're going on a routine basis and walking all over your property to pull cameras to see if you know xyz big deer moved in that's putting unnecessary pressure on and we're gonna talk about some trail camera strategies later on but um, another one this is a big one this is gonna ruffle some feathers. A lot of people recommend this. ATV use, excessive use on your property. There's a lot of people that get misled and you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out here and I'm gonna tell you I was one of them. For years we used ATVs to access our land and drive closer to deer stands because we were under the assumption by other recommendations from other you know quote-unquote professionals that if you use an atv those deer will get accustomed to it they'll get used to it and you're not going to chase those deer off of your property and you can get in and get out and it's it's okay and i'm here to tell you i have done enough trail camera research and i've seen enough deer get chased by them that is false if you are using an ATV on your property, you are making a big mistake. I would be willing to bet if you did nothing else this year other than have groomed access that you can sneak in and out of and you stop using ATVs, that will automatically make your property a, a great percentage better. You know, I think it's uh, important that you have clean access routes that. Um, <clears throat> do not routinely alert deer. You know, they're going to pattern you. You're and it's going to make you it harder for you to pattern them and there's going to be a randomness to that movement. Now, over to property number 1, an inside out property. It's just that you've hold you you're holding the daylight activity interest of the deer in your area. It's it's in my opinion is what you're looking for because you've done it by strategically placing access, access that screen that deer can't see you, hear you, or smell you, and it's complemented by good habitat improvements. This is going to hold the daylight activity of the deer in the area, and it has the potential to affect the age structure and allow deer safety and security. Now think about that. A three-mile home range of a buck, based on all the research done at Penn State, if you've looked at any of that research, you know that you know, three square miles is, is a pretty realistic number. Now, a lot of that is done at nighttime and the rut, you know, they can move in daylight in the rut, but most of their daylight activity throughout the years is done at nighttime. But if it's a mature deer And they know how to get safe in Pennsylvania when, you know, you've got the Orange Army and gun season that guns are cracking away and a lot of deer get killed in Pennsylvania, especially in rifle season, especially in the first hours of rifle season. Um, If a deer has made it to, let's say, three and a half years old or older, that deer knows of a place that it can go and be safe and secure during daylight hours, a place where they're not going to have any human interaction. And that's what you're trying to mimic on your property because that might only be a 40-acre circle. And that 40-acre circle where that deer can spend most of its time and daylight hours laying down, if you can make that on your property, you can pat yourself on the back because that encompasses something that most people envy to do. It's, it's a big deal. That's like a sacred location. It can be done in your property. So, I said this earlier, and I'm going to bring it up again. How much of your property can you dedicate to deer at all times? They can't see you. They can't hear you. They can't smell you. And that starts about one month before hunting season starts and goes all the way until it closes. And it's important that you do that because number one, I find that about 30 days is a really good grace period for, you know, you using your property for other things in the summertime or making improvements to get ready for the season and, you know, traveling throughout your property and making disturbance. About 30 days is a good amount of time to get those deer back into a schedule of using your your property on a regular basis, and it's important to go all the way to the end of the season because if you start using your property elsewhere prematurely, you might chase those deer off your property and expose them to predation. And I say predation, you know, it could be cars or it could be other hunters. So that's different. But this is different for all people. Generally, I think your property needs to be accessed around the borders. That's a general rule. Of thumb. Now, not all properties lay out the same. Not all. Not all properties are, a, you know, an easy square that they can they can make that groom trail on the outside. And there's some places that the way they set up with ridges and terrain and topography that you've gotta have, you know, reduced amount that for for a deer. You know, let's say you've got some major open field ridge in the middle, and you've only got nooks and crannies on the outside ends of your property to hold deer. You might only be able to dedicate forty or fifty percent of your property to deer at all times. Just the way just because of the way it lays out. But now there's other properties that you might be able to do 70, 80, maybe even 90% of your 50 acre property, you can dedicate to deer at all times. And that's big. If you can do that and you can you're willing to sacrifice that much, that's great. It, it's gonna have a direct impact positively on your outcome. Now, if you have a property that you're not willing to do that, let's say you're you have your property for other reasons Than hunting, you know, keep it all relative. If you're doing other things, it's gonna it's gonna have a negative impact. A good example, and we're gonna talk about this when we get into another episode with food, is if you have ag fields in your property and you're renting out those ag fields, that is reducing your overall potential for deer. Ag is not always a good thing. That's another rough feather ruffler. You see deer going in and out of corn and bean fields, and you think that is the gold—that's the gold mine—that's the key. Corn and beans—it's feast and then famine. I'm an agronomist, and I see what these combines can do when they go through. It—it's slim pickings with these efficient combines when they cut a field. Yeah, there's some spilled grain, and you'll see deer coming in and out, but it quickly becomes famine, and that becomes an area of a ghost town on your property. Plus it's just a a wild, it's a wildlife desert in the open, especially when it gets into the fall and the winter, there's no cover, there's no food. So if, if you've got to, if if you have a big property and you have to rent those fields out to pay taxes and all that stuff, you know, it's just a reduction in your overall potential in your acres. I want you to think about that. If you want to buy a property, if you are in, if you're trying to buy a piece of land for hunting, I would rather buy a 40 acre property that I can take and then invest money into to make quality improvements and dedicate as much of that property to deer 100% of the time than I would 100 acres that I don't have enough money left over to invest in. And then maybe I have to rent it out for this, or maybe I've got to do extreme logging or something. And you know, we'll talk about logging a little bit later on because that is an important Part in some properties, but you know, you get the picture there. I, I'd rather have it be something that I can really, you know, invest into. So, we talked about this access and you know, having generally exterior access, you know, using the terrain, use public roads. Uh, routine access areas you maybe you've got a property that has a local trail on the outside end of it on public land you know use that trail and then perpendicularly access your property do your stands build screening you know whether that is planting switchgrass whether that's planting an annual screening or whatever it is but quiet access you know in the summertime leading up to the season clear all your access trails clear them of sticks and all the debris before the season you know cut trails have a wide enough trail that your clothing isn't dragging on brush you know rake and blow the leaves off of the path and the sticks um, even though your, your leaves are going to fall in you know october into november and they're going to cover the trail if you don't have sticks and and matter, you don't have this big uh, thatch of stuff on top and you can usually walk through the woods with just leaves on dirt and make it sound like a squirrel or it's, it's usually significantly quieter and that's really important having those clean paths to get in and out and not alert deer and the big one is not using atvs i said this earlier there's a lot of atv isms out there that you can train the local deer herd to get used to those <clears throat> and i'm here to tell you it's just completely out of whack now the times that it does work and, and i've seen this if you have an atv on your property and deer get used to it. Number one, a lot of the time, it's not a hunting property. There's plenty of properties that deer don't associate any of the human interaction with danger because there's zero hunting pressure. They don't feel threatened. I've seen properties that people would ride ATVs out and feed deer on a daily basis. Well, that's a that's a trained and a learned behavior that they can go to that area where that ATV came from and there's food when they get there. That can absolutely happen. But if you have a hunting property and your neighborhood has a lot of hunting pressure, number one, you're not baiting in hunting season or you're illegal. And number two, you are using an ATV and then when they go through your property, they're getting shot at. That will never ever train a deer that an ATV is not a dangerous thing. Here's another thing. If you are driving an atv through your property and you say i've seen deer i've driven right past them and they don't get up they don't run any of that i've seen that too and they'll and nearly a hundred percent of the time it is doe groups fawns and doe and i still think they run but that's another that's another story i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go into that but what i'm getting at is how many times do you do that past a mature buck? I'm going to argue zero. And I'm not talking about maybe that one time you drove past him and he stood there and watched you drive by and stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen consistently. It doesn't happen from the beginning of the season to the end of the hunting season and you're continuously hunting and seeing those deer and interacting with them and getting a chance to shoot them. If you're doing it on a routine basis, that's not good. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't use an ATV or a vehicle on your property at all throughout hunting season. In fact, I use them to retrieve deer. Now, let's say I shoot a deer in the evening and I get out of there and I go up and I chase the deer with an ATV after dark. Is it chasing the deer? Yes, it is chasing the deer, and maybe they won't be back right away for a few days. But it's a one-time event that I think that if if I've done everything else right in my property with food and access and yada, 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 that one-time event isn't going to make a major difference. What makes a major difference is poorly placed access and then a routine use of that ATV going through. It's going to be a habitual thing that's going to alert the local deer herd. Okay, that is crucial. If you don't believe me, I dare you to try it this year. If you're doing it, I dare you to switch that, and you tell me afterwards if that had an impact. And the the another one we talked about it earlier is camera locations. And I said this before, and I'm going to say it again: if you are using your cameras in a way that you access your property poorly and you're, you're pulling them on a routine basis without rhyme or reason, you got to keep in mind, I talked about deer can't see you, hear you, or smell you. That counts for all things. That counts for your cameras. If you are going into your camera locations and the wind is blowing in a direction that goes into a deer bedding area and they can smell you. You're going there, and they can outright see you walk into that camera, or they can hear you, or what, or smell you, or whatever. That is not good. That is bad, bad, bad. When I have my camera location set up, I put cameras at my stand locations. And there's a reason for that. There's a stand there. I think it's a good pinch point that I've created to hunt. So I want to obviously put a camera there. I might have a mock scrape, I might have a food plot, I might have a water hole, and I've got this trap set to capture pictures. Now, if I'm using a regular trail camera, a non-cell camera, I'm collecting information. I'm collecting information about the deer in that area when they use it, and I'm actually using some of that in the future for other hunting seasons, but it's giving me an idea you know, throughout the year. And I'm only going to pull that card when I go to hunt that location, when the wind is right and I want to get in and hunt that stand. Or the other times that I will is in very, very inclement weather, high winds, severe storm events that you can sneak in and the wind is right to go into those locations and I'll pull them just to check them. But I'm hunting those stands and those locations based on their merits. All the hard work I've done I I know there's going to be deer there because I've done everything I need to. Now, the camera is just solidifying what I've done when I pull that card and look at it, and it's also giving me intel on specific deer that I want to hunt. You know, if I'm going into an area and I think, you know, this specific buck is here, and I go and hunt that stand, pull the card at the end of the night, and he was there two times that week, I know if I get another win that week, I'm going to be in that stand again. But if I don't have a single picture of him, well maybe it was a wasted hunt and you can talk about how to manipulate your strategy and maybe you use cell cameras that you don't even have to go in there and and find that information out but you're you're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together for these mature buck so I'm not making special trips I'm rarely making special trips to pull cards just because of that reason so anyway this 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 podcast so far it's been a lot of tangent and a ro- lot of rambling you know, I had some information and I, I kinda had it organized in the way I have in my mind, but <clears throat> this is the intro for this series we're gonna do. And this first step, this first episode, it's a lot of conceptual. There's not a lot of specific things of how to specifically do this as far as this is the type of terrain you need to be making a hinge cut in or the type of habitat, or this is the type of habitat you need to be spraying and killing this invasive or you need to be planning a food plot this way it's not a technical one it's very conceptual and it's going to pave the way for the future episodes we're going to talk about that are going to be technical but it's giving you the concepts and then it's allowing you to paint your canvas you've got a blank canvas you know we've already established that you you've 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 made the first step. I have a problem and I need to make it better on my property. So the first step you've already redefined your goals and now you're starting to look at your access. And anybody if they stand and think about it this off season, the leaves are off the trees, maybe you've got snow in the ground, you can see your property for what it is, bare bones, you can look at it and say, you know, the way we're accessing this way. I think we have potential to be chasing deer. I'm going to switch it to this outside edge and try to make a screen here, and I'm only going to walk when the wind is blowing off of my property. If you do things like that and, you know, however your property lays out, number one, that's going to be a major, major turning point right there. Even if you do no other habitat improvements that we're going to talk about later, that is leaps and bounds a positive thing for you guys, it is really, really hard to change. You know, if you've had a mediocre season and you're saying to yourself, it's time to change it's thing, but it's a hard step to take. It was a big pill for me to swallow when I realized that some of the things we were doing on these properties that I hunt were wrong. Hunting can be very, very egotistical. It's really hard. It's easy to offend people with hunting. When it, when you tell somebody that they're wrong in hunting, it's like three times as worse as anything else in life. I, and, and, you know, if you've been a hunter for a long time, you probably feel that way. I've probably talked about some things that, you know, I've challenged you with, but I'm, I'm challenging you walk your property right now, right after flintlock season, January, February, March, walk your property and do this and think about the areas that deer should be in. Even if you've walked that logging road, to access the stand in the back corner at at daddy's tree stand for the last 10 years challenge yourself to see if you can do it better you know i want you to think about how you're going to access those stands and what you have to do to get there it might be as simple as just taking a rake you know pruners or some kind of you know, shears or handsaw and just using that to make some adjustments on some trails you have. It might be a little bit bigger. Maybe you need to use an ATV or a UTV and, you know, have some tools in the back and a chainsaw. Maybe you got to make some stuff. Maybe you even need to be going on the extreme route. Maybe you need to invest in having somebody come out with a bulldozer or an excavator and redo the whole um, road system within your property. That could be a thing and it could be an investment that's well worth it. But, the changes in your area need to be made that coincide with the time of year you're trying to you're, you're trying to use this property for. You're trying to use this property in fall. Now, I'm not saying you can't have this property and do other things on it other times of the year. You know, from February through August, there's nothing wrong with. Your family trail riding, taking walks, you know, I don't even care if you have kids that ride dirt bikes. You can have access trails for deer that the deer that kids ride dirt bikes on throughout portions of the year. As long as that pressure stops immediately before the season and then you've got all the habitat improvements there's nothing wrong with that in my opinion, because you're turning your property into a fall hunting property. I'm not, the the stuff we're going to talk about is not deer 365 days a year for the most part. Not that that's not important, but I'm telling you the low hole in the bucket for deer managing, property managing, whatever you want to call it, the low hole in the bucket is fall and winter. So just make sure that if you are serious about this, that you're, pressure you're you're monitoring that pressure but maybe the changes you need to make this year and this off season and this is another hard one maybe you've got too many people hunting on your property this gets really really tough and I don't envy any landowner that has to deal with this because you've probably got family and friends that have hunted for years but if you've got 40 acres and you've got 10 people hunting on that property as they want to come and go and you know if 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 that's fun And getting occasional deer's fun. Again, I'm going back to my disclaimer in the beginning of this episode. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, if your personal challenge, your personal goal is to strive for better and try to get deer to another age class and try to shoot the best buck of your life, that might be a hard one that you have to do. You might have to reduce the amount of people on your property, reduce when they come, and that's a really tough one. You know, it, it, feelings get hurt and over deer. And keep in mind there's nothing, there's no deer on this planet that is worth breaking off relationships, but there, there are some times where you need to have checks and balances there. But regardless, you need to figure out on your property, start now, figure out how you can increase your wildlife efficiency on your property, which means reduce The amount of human and wildlife contact on your property during hunting season. So there's your blank canvas. Get to work and start now. There's nothing wrong with figuring that out now because that foundation we just laid, and I'm going to keep this in mind that I'm going to think about you did this after you listen to this episode, and you're going to get fired up and you're going to want to get out and do all these improvements. If you get that laid out, the next steps we're going to talk about in the coming weeks are going to start to build off of that and how you are going to successfully lay out habitat improvements that connect to each other and create bottleneck stand locations that will allow you to harvest the best buck in the area at some point in the hunting season. I know sometimes when you listen to people, you know even myself in this podcast, it makes it sound easy. It's really not easy. It, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of strategy. You're going to make mistakes. Um, another thing that I like to tell people is, don't ever be afraid to take advice from somebody that you respect as a hunter if they've been successful. You know, I said earlier in this podcast that hunting can be very egotistical. It's easy for people to, you know, want to do it their way, their way's the highway, their is the best. And fact of the matter is, The reason that I'm doing this podcast is not to tell you that my way is the best. The reason is I'm trying to help you learn from my experiences, and every individual that I have come on this podcast and I interview, they are people that are extremely knowledgeable in the things that we're talking about, and I get to learn from them, and it betters myself, and that's why I do this podcast. So I hope you take away something from this episode. I'm really looking forward to this series that we're going to do. It's not going to be consistent that we're going to have it week you know, weekend week out you know we're gonna have some other episodes in there we're gonna have some public land episodes we're gonna have some you know for the people that don't want to talk about deer 365 days a year we're gonna have some other topics that we're going to talk about but from now into uh, you know that spring time frame we're going to be doing a couple of episodes so some of the episodes we're going to be talking about in the future here they're going to be on food they're going to be on cover they're going to be on security. And when I say security, I'm talking about security for the deer herd and hunting pressure and managing hunting pressure. And within that, we're going to talk about some stand location potentials, camera location potentials. And we're also going to talk about another, probably another episode is understanding habitat improvements from just hunting improvements and trying to make hunting better you know really diverging in that as far as quality habitat versus just something that makes your hunting easier so there you have it Um, hope that was uh, something helpful for you and i look forward to uh, coming back and doing this with some some guests that i have planned out and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch you later thanks for listening